podcast, Vel News Podcast. It's Fred Dreyer back for another week of the Vel News Podcast, and we have to talk about the big battle on Aetna. Oh, the slugfest. The uh, big, huge, fiery, explosive fight uh, that we were promised uh, that just kind of didn't turn into... The well, uphill lava flow yeah. of Aetna bicycle racing yeah. is about as good as a lava flow we in terms went around of action today to figure out what was the volcanic um the volcanic comparison for today's stage because it wasn't very volcanic and yeah the riders riding uphill as fast as a lava flow mm. yeah headwinds will do that to you yeah, yeah. yeah. oh well uh, i'm fred dreyer editor-in-chief of vela news i'm joined as always by kaylee fretz hey fred senior editor of vela news and spencer paulison news director of vela news i'm here uh, guys, before we start today, I want to let you know that this week's episode of the Wellness Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, a life insurance that focuses specifically on healthy, active lifestyle individuals like us. Kaylee, can you tell me a little bit more about this company? Wow, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, so basically, they've, they've done some research. Uh, well, they've looked at the research. A couple just data points to throw out there. Active people like us are 45% less likely to get cancer, mm-hmm. 18% less likely to have heart disease, and 28% less likely to die early. So therefore, life insurance should probably be a little bit cheaper for us, I would think. 400% more likely to get saddle sores, though, unfortunately. But hey, equal trade-off. It's a good trade-off. True. We're working on a balm sponsor. (laughs) We need to add a balm sponsor. Uh, No, but Health IQ, they basically take this into account. They take into account the fact that we're healthier people. Uh, You can head to healthiq.com forward slash VeloNews and get a quote and find out how much less you could be spending due to your active lifestyle. Awesome. Let's talk about the Giro. We got up very early, fired up the live streams, and watched stage four of the Giro d'Italia because we just thought it was going to be your typical punch-you-in-the-mouth type stage, and it wasn't. Guys, let's just get into it. Why do we think this stage was so tame compared to what we expected? Uh, well, we are we are a little far away. We, we, we do not totally understand the conditions on the ground, but luckily we have a man who understands the conditions mm. on the ground. Uh, let's, let's hear real quick, before we get started, from our man Andrew Hood, who was up Mount Etna today. Hi guys, up here at the finish line on Mount Etna. I gotta say, if you're ever in Sicily, definitely come to Mount Etna. This is a spectacular setting, not only for a bike race, but even for the amateur volcanologists out there. Uh, this is only about halfway up the summit. Once you get to the top, there are some tours here in the summertime. There's, there's skiing here in the winter. And uh, you can really see that this is Europe's most active volcano. In fact, depending on uh, what's happening up top, there are some live lava flows, uh, kind of some of the uh, cones, and you see the craters up there. It really is a spectacular setting. Uh, but the eruptions didn't come today in the GC, did they? I think uh, a couple reasons why really there was a strong headwind first off uh kind of those last switchbacks you saw anyone that stuck their nose out they weren't really making up too much ground and also the big talking point this week was is it really too soon to try to make a big strong gc move in really what a stage four of this giro uh, i think by next weekend
event is when the Giro is going to click into gear with that uh, big summit finale at Blockhouse, which is a much harder climb than even Etna, and then backed up by that first long time trial. But there were people wondering, you know, can a GCI really make a strong move and then ride to defend the pink jersey and really make a strong effort only at stage four and try to realistically keep that all the way to Milano in almost three weeks' time? So I think a lot of guys really were just kind of uh, happy to finish in the main bunch. We see there wasn't really that much of a GC shakeout. In fact, uh, the breakaway won, so it kind of shows a little bit of how, how hard they were taking this race. But it's been really a fantastic opening weekend here on these islands. I mean, Sardinia for three days, the overnight ferry transfer, and now we have two more, one more day here, two days in total in Sicily. And it's just a, a, you know, a spectacular way to open the Giro, and the locals have really embraced it. So I think uh, the Giro couldn't have asked for a better opening for its 100th edition. So uh, we'll catch up soon, guys. Thanks. Okay, yeah, so it sounds like it was pretty windy. Sounds like guys are maybe keeping their powder dry. Um, as a spectator, though, what was your takeaway from watching today's stage? Uh, well, it wasn't very exciting. <laughs> sure. yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, I generally agree with Hoodie. Um, you know, you could hear in... Uh, in that audio clip there, that it is windy. Uh, it was it was windy uh, across Hoodie's phone that he was recording with. It sounds like it was mostly a headwind most of the way up the climb, and that really kept the whole thing together. I mean, you, you know, it was a big group coming into the finale there. Other than uh, our lone escapee, Jan Polenk, uh, and a very, very late move from Ilner Zakarin, everybody else kind of came in together. There were a couple moves in the finale there. Uh, I think Thibaut Pino gave it a shot really briefly. Nibali gave it a very, very brief uh, Tom attempt. Dumoulin. Tom Dumoulin, Dumoulin also. Mm-hmm. Dumoulin gave it a little attempt, uh, but nobody could get anywhere. And it was one of those one of those situations where I think they knew that they were never going to get anywhere. You know, it's like four hard pedal strokes, and they look behind them to see how far they've gotten, and they haven't gotten anywhere. And a lot of cat and mouse. Sit up. Definitely yeah. a lot of cat and mouse. Other thing that stands out was how wide that road was. I mean, it's barren, it's wide, it's windy. I mean, while these guys were climbing, they were in echelons basically across the entire length of the road. It's- and uh, you wonder if, I don't know, maybe maybe if they're able to build a Montezocalon-like goat path up the slopes of Mount Etna someday, this will make for a more, uh, you know, exciting Giro stage. Yeah, I think that Etna just isn't that hard of a climb either. I think it, we, we kind of, we made it sound worse than it was going to be. And they did climb up the hardest side, the steepest side, but there are climbs coming later in this race that are going to be much, much, much more difficult than that. And what was interesting about this stage was just that it came so early. Mm-hmm. We we're all wondering, okay, it's stage four. You know, is anyone really going to give it a go? You know, does Nairo Quintana or Vincenzo Nibali sort of have the gumption to try to hang onto a pink jersey for two and a half weeks? The answer to that clearly was no. Well, Uh, we should probably then go back in time to see, uh, well, who was wronger with the prediction for how Etna turned out? I see a Steven Kreuzvik attacks and Vicenzo Nibali drops. Bob Jungles attacks. I'm going to be just a huge Bob Jungles fan the entire year. I'm just going to warn you guys now. Bobby J. Bobby J. Bob Jungles attacks. Um, Oh, Boca Molima drops. Like it. Mm, I'm saying, I'm just going to say Nairo Quintana attacks. And I was going to say Boca Molima drops too. I'm going to say Tom Dumoulin drops. Okay. All right. Well, we will see who is wronger. 
I don't know. Um, I know I was pretty wrong. You were super wrong. We were all very yeah, wrong. Yeah, we were pretty far off. Spencer was wrong. I was the least wrong. No way to go. Well, yeah. except- I did. I did. I did say Bob Jungles slash Bob Jungles. Uh, Jungle Bob would do well, and he did. He's in the pink jersey now. So I, I would say I was the least wrongest. Yeah. <laughs> you said Molema was going to drop, though, and he was eighth. <laughs> no, that's ninth. True. He was ninth. Well, that's the other thing about, like, you look at who finished in that front group, and not only was it all the favorites, but, like, all the favorites and their domestic. Yes. It was, like, all the guys we know are going to be there and their buddies. Yeah. So it couldn't have been that hard. It's a group of about 20. Come on, yeah. Jiro. Pretty... Pretty strong group in the end there. Uh, what do we think about Jungle Bob and his ability to keep the pink jersey over the next few days slash week? Well, I said in the last episode that I thought if one of the big, big names took pink uh, today on Mount Etna, they would probably want to get rid of it. You know, if Nairo Quintana took pink today, chances are he'd let a break go tomorrow and try to give that jersey to somebody else and some other team so he doesn't have to defend it. Because it's a, it's a long week. There's basically... There are a couple tricky stages, but there are no real GC stages until we get to next Sunday, which is the blockhouse stage. Uh, none of the GC guys are going to want that pink jersey. However, Bob Jungles is kind of a special case. Uh, first of all, he's not one of the top favorites for the for the general classification. Uh, he's a time trialist. That last week is really going to hurt him. Um, I think a top five would be a very, very good ride for him. That kind of puts him in a different stratosphere uh, from guys like Naira Quintana and Vincenzo Nibali. He also has a big, strong team. He does not necessarily have a GC team with him. He has a team that's kind of split between helping him and helping uh, Fernando Gaviria in the sprints. So I would, despite the fact that I said that most leaders want to get rid of the pink jersey, I think that Bobby J wants to uh, wants to hang on to it for the week and probably can yeah, hang that, on to it for the week. When it comes down to it, Quickstep was going to ride the front for the next few stages anyway because they're totally going to be great opportunities for Gaviria, who won stage three. Uh, and I don't see any reason why he couldn't win at least another one or two stages and um, all the better for Bobby Ungles because it means he'll just be able to cruise along in the blue train there. You know, when I thought about this race and the cast of characters coming into it, yeah, Jungle Bob's was on my sort of second tier list. But I got to say, he's looking so strong. You know, when you you see a GC rider who's like taking turns on the front in early windy stages. And yeah, kind and that of echelon a, stage, is, yeah, that was amazing. Shows he looks so good. He is super strong and he's amped up. I would not be surprised to see the the man of the jungle Mr. Bob hold on to this uh, jersey for a couple stages. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the podium in the finish if if all goes according to plan. I mean, he's a young rider. He's shown his bona fides in stage races before, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is sort of the next step he takes as Jungle Bob, the stage race guy. Well, and don't forget, last year in the Giro, he ended up sixth overall. Yeah. So he's come quite close, and of course, he won the Young Riders classification that year, 2016, also. Yeah, he's definitely no joke. Uh, and there are a lot of time trial kilometers this yeah. particular race. Uh, what, 60, is it 67 or 57? 67? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. A lot of time trial kilometers, uh, which he's going to, I mean, he's going to take time out of all those climbing 
guys. Uh, moving on. So that front group, like I said, there were a number. All the contenders were in there with their teammates, including Cannondale. I think they had like four or five guys in there. I had four, four were, left. Yeah, there was a moment where I thought, could this be it? I mean, we've been on uh, Streak Watch 2017 <laughs> at a couple races now, trying to guess whether Cannondale is going to break their world tour losing streak. Thought for a moment it might happen here, and no. Yeah. Didn't. So Pierre Roland gave it a really early dig, and really I early. I don't think anyone really expected yeah. him to stay away uh, that over that much distance. I think maybe he was trying to set up one of his teammates. His teammates didn't actually give it a go once Oops. he was caught. Uh, that team is is you know it's a it's a team of opportunists this particular year. They have Formolo. Formolo is still up in the GC. My guess is he's going for the best young riders jersey. Hmm. Although taking that over the likes of Yates and uh, Bobby J and Bob, Bob Jungles is going to be quite difficult. Be tough. Nonetheless, I think that that Formolo is the guy that they're going to try to keep up on that GC. The rest of them, Roland, Dombrowski, uh, Mike Woods. Woods finished in that front group today. All also, those yeah. guys have been basically given, you know, <laughs> they are free and clear. They can do whatever the hell they want to get into a breakaway, try to win a stage, because that team is coming up on, maybe just surpassed, two years Ooh without a world tour victory. Brutal. Uh, here's a question. If they win the team category at the Giro, does that count as ending the streak? No. No. Not. <laughs> uh, no. Very little debate around this table. I, I always say the team's classification to Grand Tour is not a very good thing to win because yeah. it usually means you're finishing kind of close but not winning. Had a or, bunch of guys up there that didn't yeah, win. It's the 6th like, through 20th yeah, category. Burn yeah. those matches. Let, you know, those guys should be finishing like DFL because they're you know working their asses off at the front of the group. Oh, Cannondale, the team we love to cheer for and have them break our hearts. Uh, guys, there was a real interesting moment that occurred during today's stage. Uh, the Peloton is rumbling through the flats to the base of Mount Etna, and then, boom, all of a sudden, there's like a roundabout. Gaviria goes the wrong direction. Everyone goes the wrong direction. There's chaos. Kreuzberg crashes. I think uh, Zacharin went down yep, as well. Yep, Zacharin. And there, there was like no course marshal marking the thing. There were some fans. <laughs> some fans. There was like a, a, basically a pink post-it note on a signpost saying everybody knows this is the turn for it this is the way you go anyway uh this whole scenario going off course really got me thinking about what would a cat three do in this scenario so i think we have to ask cat three Okay, Spencer, here it is. You're in the race. Uh, all of a sudden, you and maybe some other riders go off course. What do you do? Uh, but probably crash immediately yeah. because, <laughs> you know, you're not on the race course, so it's not safe anymore, right? That's I mean, true. Race courses, you could do whatever you want there, but getting off the race course. I say either you find the closest volunteer and just berate them. Just oh. make them never want to come to a bike race ever again. Yelling help always out. helps. Yeah. Yell yelling does always help. Or you just keep going, you know? Mm. You're off course. You're probably pointed in the direction of your home. I say just just ride all the way home. Yeah, yeah. just get an Uber to get the car back later. Yeah, uh -huh. that's true. Go get some good training miles. Yeah. Uh, but again, I, like I th said, I think you just scream at any race volunteer to make them or never fans. Scream want, at the fans, Make too. them never want to come back to a bike probably race probably the fans' fault, too. Someone else's significant other. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. Yeah, that's good, too. Well, that was Ask a Cat 3, backed by unpopular demand. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Um, so before we um, move on here with the Giro, you know, we've already had four stages, five days. And this Giro, we, it, it started with a little bit of chaos. I mean, as Giros tend to do. The day before the race was, start to, was supposed to start, was to start, the... Bardiani CFS? CSF. CSF team. Close enough. Oh, yep. we get a little press release coming along that two of the riders have tested positive for PEDs. I believe it was a hormone peptide? Uh, it was growth hormone. Growth hormone. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> yeah. It's basically human growth a hormone. A new flavor. Which is, you know, on the... Uh, uh, <laughs> it's on the list of, of absolute um, top tier performance enhancing drugs and not mm-hmm. one that we actually see all that often from the professional road cycling ranks because it's uh relatively easy to test for and so a little bit a little bit odd that um we had two guys from the same team hmm. end up with uh with the same positive test on the eve of the Giro d'Italia huh. and so one of them Stefano Parazzi I mean awesome climber I believe he's won the polka dot jersey or, or a stage in the past no he hasn't won the polka dot jersey he won the stage uh and then uh, Nicola Ruffoni, who's actually been having a pretty good year. Superstar sprinter. Superstar sprinter yeah. this year as well. So two guys from this an, yet another case of an Italian pro-continental team having uh, doping problems coming to the Giro. So usually when we have a big doping story on the eve of a Grand Tour, it's just freaking chaos and we all pull our hair out and throw our arms in the air. Yet this time... I, I don't know. Like, a was anybody surprised, and B like it didn't to me. It just didn't seem like it was that chaotic. I mean, this team has a bit of a history. Yeah. Uh, so this team, run by Bruno Riverberry uh, since 1982, I believe, they've had their their fair share of run-ins uh, with anti-doping rules. Fred, I think you were you were going back. Emmanuel Isella was the last sort of major one. Yeah, um, he just nuked people at the 2008 <laughs> Giro. I mean, three stage wins and the polka dot jersey, and just just dropped people so hard. Like GC get contenders, yeah, just, yeah, just over and over just again, crushing them, and then <laughs> you know got popped for EPO. Yeah, so, I mean, the thing is, the, these teams are under tremendous pressure when they come in to to animate the race. To you know, this is this is essentially it's make or break. It's make or break. It, this is yeah. their entire season is the mm-hmm. Giro d'Italia. So, you know, from that perspective, yes, you can understand why maybe they're slightly more susceptible to doing this sort of thing than the World Tour teams. Which, uh, you know, if 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 Lotto and El Yumbo shows up the Giro and has a terrible race and doesn't do anything, they're still back next year because right. they're in the World Tour. Well, and also they've got the Tour de France and they've got the Tour the and the Vuelta, Vuelta and everything else. They're the, guaranteed. You know, the Bardiani, This is a, this is one of their only international races uh, in terms of like putting putting themselves in front of international fans. It's one of it's definitely their only Grand Tour. It's their one big shot in the season. Not that that is to say that this is acceptable. Not at all. Uh, but understandable that you know that we, we have come predictable we have predictable is better than understandable uh we have come to sort of expect that these uh second tier teams show up and they are they just really want to prepare properly yeah <laughs> really prepared super, <laughs> prepared super prepared i always wonder with these teams like how much the world tour got, uh, teams like kind of know about these performances Ed, and parazzi was the one that stood out to me so yeah he actually had won the mountains classification in 2013 um, and won a stage in 2014. And if memory serves me correctly, he was flying in both of those races. And like that was back when he was sort of in his mid-20s. Like a rider 
who's winning big stages of a grand tour. He's on the up and up. He's still young. Like, why didn't a world tour team ever hire that guy on? Hmm. Like, I yeah, I mean, generally, <laughs> someone wins a stage of a grand tour in their mid twenties, they get picked up by a world tour team. Yeah, or was the polka dot stage at the Giro? Yeah. Like, you're, you know, that guy's strong, and yet the world tour teams are kind of like, eh, yeah. And, and you know, hard, the other thing, hard pass. <laughs> the other thing that's unfortunate too about this doping scandal is. Conceivably, Bardiani gets kicked out of the Giro. Yeah. If the if, if the B sample uh, tests positive as well, the the UCI's rule will kick into effect. And so what this means is there's a couple of Italian pro continental teams that are on the sideline because two out of four weren't invited to the Giro. And like we were just saying, this is their big opportunity to shine in front of a home crowd. And we're talking about Androni Giacatoli and Nipo Vini Fantini that both are not racing the Giro. Just so to see their compatriots, you know, get kicked out this way, it's uh, it's got a sting for those guys. And especially for Nipo Vini Fantini, which is home to Damiano Cunego, who's a former Giro champ himself. And just really atrocious team colors. Like, think about <laughs> how they would be spicing up the Peloton yeah, it, with their, like, hot orange pastel thing Yeah, the on. blue Rust Velo kits are just too demure for Italy, aren't they? That's true. <laughs> More Deglo. Gianni Savio, the, the head of, the manager of... Uh, the Entroni team has got to be pulling his hair out. I oh, imagine. Although they've hair. had their own, they've had their own uh, run-ins with the law. Yeah, so they speak. Yeah. They're not without. They're not beyond reproach. Not at all. Oh, Giro, 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 Giro. Well, we are going to be continuing to watch the Giro to see what other Giro-type moments are going to spring up over the next few days. Did you ride your bike this past week? Most definitely. Kaylee, did you ride your bike last week? Absolutely. Yeah, I did too. God, we're such just healthy, young, strong people. Uh, it, it has me thinking about our sponsor for this week, Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance company that works specifically with healthy, active lifestyle people like us. Yeah. So basically, uh, they, they've, they've, you know, they've crunched the numbers and, and checked out the data and they found out that turns out if you ride your bike a lot, r- go running, lifting, if you're a vegan, mm. you live way longer. And so, you know, obviously life insurance should be cheaper for those of us that are, that are healthier. That's exactly what they've done. So you can go to healthiq.com forward slash VeloNews, get a quote from Health IQ, get rewarded for your active fit lifestyle. God, we're helping Vela News readers out so much this week. You're welcome. Tell them about the Giro and hooking them up with some awesome life insurance for fit people. I love it. Uh, moving on, guys. So we have, what, over two weeks left of the Giro d'Italia. We have a whole cast of characters who can still win this race. I think what we have to do now is go around the table and adopt a GC guy. Mm. And, and not just, like, you can't just adopt, like, Nairo or Nibbly, like, guys who are going to win. Let's adopt, like, a second That's tier. like adopting the really cute puppy. Yeah. You know, we, we're, we're going to get, like, the old mangy. <laughs> mangy, <laughs> mangy puppy. <laughs> Let's uh, do, like, a rescue mission style The one that adoption. really, really needs to get I taken home or else it's going to get. bad week to put a new carpet. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to adopt Stephen Kreisvik, who might pee all over my carpet in the form of crashing into a snowbank. Stevie cruise ship. Stevie cruise ship. Stevie cruise ship had a bit of a rough day today, guys. He finished he in the pack, which is great, but boy, he crashed when the uh, Peloton went the wrong way at that roundabout. And there were a couple moments where I was just like kicking stuff and all pissed off because Stevie cruise ship was going to have a bummer of a Giro. But he came back. And he's still in it. And I think he's going to be a guy looking at Blockhouse. Mm. Like, I'm calling it right now. I think he's climbing pretty well. 
he's looking real lean with that coat hanger type body physique. Um, I think let, let's could let's watch get, him. On. Could he get a shoulder reduction surgery? Maybe I think that's not a thing. <laughs> but we could we could acquire modern medicine, what, right? What if he just broke both collarbones and they went in and just shortened them? Oh, you know that's what like, I mean. Dunk. Yeah, just yeah. tighten that up. I'm a little. pretty sure that's how medicine works. Um, I also worry about poor Stevie cruise ship. He's so fair skinned. And the Giro d'Italia has been in this southerly Ooh. route. They're getting just tons and tons of sun every day. Like, that guy must be full on, like, lobster patrol. Most right GC now. riders send their domestiques back for water bottles. Yeah. He sends his back for bottles S- of sunscreen. SPF 3000. <laughs> and he just uses them all and has to get another bottle. Okay. Well, adoption, Stevie cruise ship. Stay out of the sun, Stevie. Well, I'm going to adopt uh, Bob Jungles. Okay. Bob Jungles. You kind of already did in the last. I, I basically already adopted. You really got uh, you know, man crush just, going. I think that, I actually think he's going to do really well at the end of this race. I think again, lots of time trial miles. I think he's going to surprise us in that final week in the mountains. And mm-hmm. I'm just pulling for him. He's he's a young guy. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. I would love to see him surprise some of the uh, cuter puppies. Uh, and the litter. Plus, I feel like <laughs> the announcers just love saying Bob Jungles. Jungles. Oh, Jungles is on the attack. Oh, look at Jungles ticking it over. We, Despite the way that he actually pronounces it, we're sticking with Bob Jungles, yeah. by the way. Or because, Jungle Bob. Or Jungle Bob, because we just like it more. Oh. Ah, Sorry, Bob. Okay, well, I will say another... Well, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Tom Dumoulin. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say Tommy D. He, I liked how he was riding on Aetna. I liked that he put in a little attack toward the top because I think he understood that there was that kind of flat run to the line with maybe 500 meters or 750 meters to go. And if the timing had worked out, I think he would have easily held off the chasing bunch just because he's a good time trialist. And like we were saying earlier, there's enough time trials in this Giro that I think Tommy D's got a shot and we'll see how he does in the high mountains. I'm not feeling totally confident in the climbing. I don't know how that plays into our puppy analogy. I think we've <laughs> we, kind of ridden that one. Into the we all adopted puppies from the low countries. Oh, yeah, yeah low country. Well, Luxembourg isn't really a low country. Uh, it's pretty yeah, close. It's pretty low. I think Dumoulin's looking really lean right now. Yeah. I mean, he he looks like a totally different athlete than he did even a year, year and a half yeah. ago. Last year he was on, still on the time trial mode. Exactly, but mm-hmm. that didn't work out so well. I think that uh, I think that Tom Dumoulin could actually surprise us as well. I mean, you know, the, him and and Jungle Bob are basically in the same mold. So fingers crossed for. Uh, Tommy D has Lowland a real time trial dominance. He's got a real like slack jawed mouth agape climbing pain face. <laughs> when he's like going uphill, he's just like duh. Like I kind of am waiting for drool to just start spilling down that monster chin of his. <laughs> when you have a little five o'clock shadow, Fred, I think you kind of look a little like him. Oh well, thank you. Yeah. This, this is stylish. Uh, okay, and that was adopting a rider. <laughs> new, new segment of the podcast. Yeah, just throw that one out there. <laughs> they're just they're going to stay adopted, so we can't redo this one next week. Okay. We will be keeping an eye on our adopted riders and cheering for them throughout um, the Giro. What does the the owner of the winning adopted rider get in this little competition? Hmm. I mean, these low country puppies. Maybe we get the Leffa, the, the Leffa that's chilling in the oh, Bellevue's yeah. world headquarters refrigerator right If you now. think that's going to last the entire Giro, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's getting real thirsty it's up in here. drunk. I'll tell you what. <laughs> uh, moving on, guys. Guess what starts this coming weekend? It's the Amgen Tour of California, America's biggest race. The race sponsored by a company that produces like EPO and stuff. 
it happens. <laughs> Remember when that was a thing? Like when it was first. People sponsored? were so angry about people that. People are, so angry are about still it. still angry about it. I'm I not swear angry to God. Well, I, yeah, I know you're not. But we're not angry about it. I swear, it at all. there still are people who. Yeah, it's. So this is the eleventh running of the cycle race, of when they say the running of a race. Uh, it's adopting a southerly route this year, starting in Sacramento, finishing down in Pasadena. And Kaylee and I are actually going to be heading out there. Oh, yeah. We're really excited. We're taking the cameras. We're taking the podcast recorders. Taking all sorts of good multimedia stuff. Good riddance. Get out of the office yeah, so I can do right. some work. Bring a selfie stick. Yeah. Spencer, you're going to be doing like three-hour lunch rides. It's cool. <laughs> and um, we are going to be just pumping all of the contents onto velonews.com for your delights. And Big old content hose. Yeah. Spencer will be editing all that good stuff up. And um, we wanted to preview the Tour of California with a fun little interview that our very own Spencer did uh, a couple days ago with the man, the myth, the pit bull mystery, Mr. Andrew Talansky. That's right. Caught up with uh, Andrew Talansky at Sea Otter Classic a few weeks ago. So let's listen in. All right. So we're here with Andrew Talansky, rider for Cannondale Dropback, and we are at Sea Otter Classic. And I can't believe this, Andrew, but this is your first time ever here at Sea Otter. Isn't that right? It is, yeah. First time uh, seeing seeing the expo. First time any uh, anything related to Sea Otter. It'll be first time doing a race here at Sea Otter as well. Yeah. Nice. So you're doing the road race, and that's going to be on Friday, which today's a Thursday. I don't know when you people are going to be listening to this, but um, so the road race course is pretty hilly, right? Yeah, yeah. I've never seen it. Just seen the profile. Neil Shirley, uh, who's here, has told me told me it's got a little uh, climb up to the finish, but looks nice. I think it's 70 or 80 miles and hopefully a good turnout. And uh, yeah, it looks, looks like it'll be a good time. And this is kind of like, overall, it seems like you've had a really mellow start to your season. N- not, no racing in Europe. You've just kind of been training. And, and partly that's because um, you're a new father. So congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. No, our, uh, our son was born on March 3rd. And um, I actually went over, I raced Catalonia and half of Pays Basque over, over in Europe to get get the spring kicked off. But, uh, you know, I was definitely suffering. I'd broken my thumb earlier in the winter and, you know, just kind of had finally strung together a few, you know, very average weeks of training before heading off for those races. Uh, you know, suffered in both of them and ended up with a, you know, pretty bad stomach bug on the morning of stage three of Pays Basque. So, you know, came back to the U.S. and uh, tour of California's next next big goal. But it's it's been great being home with my family and uh, you know putting the work in and just kind of building back up. Is it a little hard to get the sleep that you need as a pro racer with a newborn baby? Uh, I mean, I think that's the that's kind of the thing. You know, is a lot of times people think oh you're a pro you know you live in a bubble and the bike is all that matters but you know there's there's so much like you might that's my job and I, you know I love racing my bike and that's what I get paid to do but you're still a regular person and you know your family still comes first and you have uh you know you have good days you have bad days you have everything like anybody with with any type of job would and I think you know the key that I've seen even over the last year before before my son was born and and since he's come is that the most important thing you can find in life is balance and when you find that then you're going to be more successful in in everything you do so what's what's the key for you to find that balance 
I think it's just, uh, you know, it's finding, it's it's that balance, you know, because for me, you know, I never feel good if, if you're just, um, you know, if you isolate yourself, if you kind of just say, okay, I'm just going to focus on, on uh, you know, only training. You can't neglect, you know, your family. You can't neglect the people who support you and who allow you to do this, you know, because without my wife, without my family, without my friends, I never would have ended up where I am today or gotten any of the results that I've gotten so you know for me it's it's kind of that it's it's connecting with the people around you it's um spending time with your family you know quality time with them and uh and you know like you you go and you do your rides you do your training but you know when you come home that's done and and uh you know you're on to the next thing so it must must be really nice to look ahead to tour of california since now you live in california and to be able to have sort of a home race like that that's not too far and um and uh, what do you think of the, the route for this year? You know, last year, honestly, I, there, there were some long transfers, but I think they made one of the coolest overall routes. I mean, personally, you know, it had the Santa Rosa King Ridge stage. We had a nice time trial in Folsom. We had, you know, the day all the way up to Lake Tahoe, and I spent a lot of time training up in, in Truckee around Lake Tahoe. Um, it felt like, it felt very much like a home race. I mean, we had great stages. We had Gibraltar. And this year, you know, I think they... They stepped back a little bit, um, maybe because of some of the transfers that were involved. But it's still a really solid race. They're going to have a nice time trial up at Altitude and Big Bear. Have the classic Mount Baldy stage. Um, you know, it looks, like, it looks like it'll be a tough racing. And with the kind of decisive GC days stacked towards the end, that always makes it a little uh, more in favor of kind of real, real GC riders. Um, but, I mean, for me, it's a race. Last year I had a great experience there. You know, came in supporting Lawson Craddock. Ended up having a nice ride myself. And, uh, and it kind of really motivated me, you know, it, it is a home race, uh, you know, I live in Napa, not too far from here, and it's, you know, friends with Levi, and I've seen him win it numerous times, and it's, and so many people, you know, especially in the U.S., the recognition for that race is, is right up there with, uh, you know, anything you get in Europe, and I think we have Cannondale, an American bike company, American sponsor, and you know, Draypack also kind of moving into the U.S. market and headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. It's it's important for the team. It's important for me. And uh, it's something I'm definitely motivated to ride well in. And um, so what is what was the first year you did the Tour of California? And can you give me any memories from that first race? Yeah, I have kind of a, a love-hate relationship with Tour of California. I mean, I raced it the first time, super, super excited. You know, my Neo Pro year, I'd had a, had a big spring of racing and, um, you know, came came in pretty good out of Romany in 2011 and raced California and just, just didn't have a great year. Had not a, not a great year, didn't have a great race. Um, just just struggled a bit, never never felt like I was really kind of firing on all cylinders we had sierra road and baldy and the um time trial and everything but i i left it just kind of like okay you know maybe this was just an off year and i came back in 2012 and i ended up getting super sick with like two days left of racing um <laughs> and i just you know i I'd fit i did finish the race but after that i was kind of like maybe this just isn't my race like it may it's my home and everything but like this this is just not it's not clicking for me here, you know, as much as I wanted it to kind of being, being at home. Um, so I, I, you know, I left it for a few years. I didn't race it in 13 or 14. I went back in 2015 and made it approximately 40 miles through the Sacramento stage. Cause oh. I was also sick. And then, you know, I 
recovered and, and went to nationals time trial and, and was able to win that. But I was just, it kind of just hit me again. I was like, wow, like, what is it with me in this race? You know, mm -hmm. why can't, why can't I put together here? And last year I finally came in, you know, relatively low key. I'd had some sinus issues in the spring and, and we kind of took care of those, but it had uh, definitely affected my racing over in Europe and came in off a rough tour, tour Romandy. And finally it just, you know, things clicked. Like I, I just, I was building throughout the race and I felt like myself in a stage race. And I had such a good time with a team that we had here last year. And I had, it was, it was just felt like really good, hard racing. Um, I don't know how to describe it, except that it felt more, it felt like a European one week stage race, which, you know, I tend to like just hard day after day, best riders end up at the front, selective finishes. And, you know, by the end of the week, people are just on their hands and knees, basically. And, and that's what generally favors me. So, you know, after that experience, I said, okay, this is, you know, obviously it is a race I can do well at. It is a race that is kind of in my wheelhouse. And, and I really wanted to, to give it a proper shot, you know, rather than just uh, um, riding it off. So I had some not great experiences at it. Uh, but last year kind of turned that around and, and hoping for more of that this year. Yeah, it does seem like you as a rider do your best when you are in a very tough race and it just kind of keeps grinding like the Vuelta in 2016 and and you're able to just kind of keep pushing through it and the attrition really favors you. Is that something that you feel like you've always is that something you've always had? Is that something that like back, thinking back to when you were a collegiate racer, is that how you is that how you did well in those races or is this something that you've you've developed as a pro? I mean, I, I think I think to some degree I've I've always had that. I mean, I've always been, you know, good at time trials, always been solid climbing. I mean, obviously that kind of puts you into the into fits you into the box of a, you know, GC rider. I always like Grand Tours because it's just 3 weeks and, you know, so many guys can ride 2 weeks, but every time you see that the third week, obviously the guys who are first or second or third, like the best guys are still the best guys, but people after that, there's so many guys who are kicking around 4th, 5th, 8th, 10th. And they just come completely unraveled in the third week. And it could be like the 20th stage of, of a grand tour. And I love that. I love that it's not about just, um, you know, three weeks. It kind of minimizes the luck factor. You know, you can kind of overcome little little things that go wrong. You have time to make it up. Um, and I, I just like the attrition side, you know. And I, I always, I still follow running as a sport. And I love the idea that, you know, the the best athlete uh, like wins the race, basically, you know, or the the result reflects that. Um, not that you got a flat at a super bad time, or I mean, it's also what makes bike racing great. Because if it was all done on a compu trainer, it wouldn't be very exciting. Yeah. I certainly probably would not have the you know the results I've gotten up to this point. Um, but it's I, I like when it just is is a bit of a race of attrition, basically, um, and you get that in Grand Tours. My best results kind of come from that. And, you know, I, at, a, at a lower level, I think I was able to, you know, kind of win or be up there in some more explosive stuff. But when you get to this level, everybody's so specialized and you have guys like Alejandro Valverde and, you know, my former teammate and, and good friend Dan Martin. And the explosiveness that they have is something that I could spend the next four years training. And I, you either have that or you don't, you know, in the same sense. The way I'm able to be in the third week of a Grand Tour is also something you kind of have or you don't. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Uh, looking ahead to the Tour de France, they have mixed in a few stages that are a little shorter and more explosive and maybe kind of get into what you're talking about as far as tactics or luck or things that maybe throw a little wrench in kind of the standard 
script of how a grand tour will grind people down. What, what's your thought on the tour route this year? I think honestly, I think it kind of it kind of adds to you know how how tough a grand tour can be when they throw in stages like that. I mean, you saw in the Vuelta last year one of the hardest days. Um, you know, a lot of people would think like the cold August day where you climb 4,500 meters and we go up big mountain passes all day was the hardest, but that obviously it's physically challenging, but you know, I think in everybody's mind, the hardest day of racing, if you were up near the front was the stage to, I think it was to Formigal when, oh, yeah. when Contador attacked. Famous and I mean, stage. I think it was ended up being around three hours or something, but it was just full gas. And that was a day where I felt like I was on limit the whole day. And you get to the very end, and with the group I was with, I was actually one of the better guys out of the, you know out of that group. And that was a day that, you know, like Froome lost a little bit of time, and people just uh, kind of cracked. So yeah, obviously the shorter stages can be a bit more explosive, but it just kind of all combines, you know, because it's not a one-day race, and those come on the back of of other days of racing, and they um, even within themselves it generally creates full gas racing from the gun and and i like that as well yeah no doubt and that was such an exciting stage that formigal stage are there i don't know how far ahead you look when you're um planning your season have you started to look at the tour the tour route and say oh this stage looks particularly favorable for me or i have to watch out for this stage honestly no um, you know, just, I, I didn't do that for the Volta last year. I've really never done that. I mean, obviously you, you go through the race, you study the stages, you, you learn about it, but I mean, we're a few months away from it and, you know, I'm here getting ready for tour of California. So I definitely, for me, I prefer to, to focus on what's, what's kind of in the more immediate, what's coming up than you know, think about what could or might or should or would happen in, in July. But obviously as it gets closer, kind of, you know, put some more effort into, into studying the route as, as you always do. But, um, you know, the, the Tour de France is the Tour de France. It's the biggest bike race in the world. Everybody shows up ready and it's, it's, it's always hard. Yeah, of course. And that, that kind of brings me to another thing I've was wanting to ask you. And I mean, I know, of course, you're at a very elite level as a cyclist, but when you line up next to a guy like Chris Froome, a guy like Alberto Contador, is there ever do you ever have moments of doubt or is there an intimidation factor or you just totally switch it off and just treat them like anyone else who has a number pinned on that day? You know, I mean, in the Tour de France of all races, you know, it's one place where, I mean, you, you're just racing and you don't really care who's around you Mm -hmm. and nobody cares who's around them. You know, like you're, there might be other races where people give somebody like Chris Froome or Contador a little more space or a little more respect. And in the Tour de France, that all goes out the window and nobody you know, nobody cares who you are. Nobody cares if you're the world champion. Nobody cares if you're, you know, former Tour de France winner. Everybody, it's it's such a important race in the season for the teams and the riders that everybody's fighting tooth and nail for everything they can get. So, um, I would say it's no. I mean, you're you're so, the, you know, you can say okay, there's Contador, there's Froome, but they're just two riders in a peloton of almost 200, and and you know, I like honestly, you're more concerned with the other 150 people, 180 people around you than focusing on two specific people. Are there ever times, maybe like after the tour's over or after a big race is over, where you let yourself sort of stop and think for a minute and just reflect on just being able to race in the Tour de France. And like, I, I remember back when you were racing collegiate, you know, and to, to think back to those days and how far it's come since then. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's something I try to get myself to do. And, and my wife, Kate, is good at, at kind of helping me pause every now and then. And even, you know, after a race like the Volta last year, to just enjoy that. But it's it's easy to, to kind of miss it, you know, because you're just going along day to day. It's like you're, you're training, the racing is going, the season's going, you know, year after year. And it's kind of easy for it to just seem you know, normal, which obviously it does become normal. It's your, it's your day to day, but at the same time, every now and then, yeah, I do try to take a moment and, and kind of look at how it, how it progressed and look at, uh, look at where the last, you know, eight, nine, 10 years, I mean, brought me, you know, 11 years since I first picked up a bike. Yeah. Yeah. 11 years since I started riding a bike, uh, road bike. And it's, it's a trip, you know, and you look at all the kind of pieces and things that, that, you know what lined up and and we're in place and the the good times and the bad times it's a lot but i you know as i've gotten older i think it's more and more important or i for me it's find it's more and more important to really kind of take in those experiences that you have because it's very easy to let them go by and be like yeah i'm racing that's why i'm doing this you know but to really like take in what you're doing and appreciate it you know and then obviously that's not every day you know you, you're focused on what you're doing you're training you're racing but uh, definitely, I'm I'm appreciative, and I, I like to I I like to stay in the present moment. But I do take the time to kind of reflect and, and look back on uh, on what a what a journey it's been. Yeah, as personally as a former collegiate racer, I know I've got some pretty funny stories from back in the day. Do you have any that from back when you were a collegiate racer that uh, that that just like bring a smile to your face? Maybe if you're in the middle of a brutal stage of the Tour de France or something like that. I will say generally during any stage of the tour, well, yeah, I'm not I mean, thinking yeah. of anything but the... Maybe after the stage is over, yeah. thinking... <laughs> yeah, but you just, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just like, wow, I don't, you know, it's 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 kind of the, the two extremes, you know, at this level, obviously, as it needs to be, you know, everything's taken care of, you know, you you have, we have, you know, an incredible chef, you have Swan years, you have everything, and the collegiate program I was a part of, Lee's McCray, I was very fortunate, I think, it, you know, it still is, but at that time, definitely one of the, the best supported collegiate programs out there. Yeah. Basically a varsity team, essentially. Yeah. yeah, I mean, on 100%, I mean, very small school, really valued cycling, um, you, you know, we were taken great care of. But, you know, it, it, it is funny when you just, you know, you think of like, okay, get them at 5 a.m., we're driving to Greenville, we're going to race yeah. that day, and just the whole the whole process, you know, and, and obviously most of those people don't, don't turn into pro cyclists, but I think collegiate cycling, the thing I look back kind of the, or on the most fondly is that it, I think it created cyclists for life, whether it was mountain bike or cross or road, you know, it, it helped build that kind of... Um, family feeling and you know everybody was together it wasn't the roadies and the cross guys and the mountain bikers it was everybody together and a lot of times the mountain bikers would do a little road the road guys would do a little cross and i i definitely like that you, you build a lot of personal connections that way and uh and you create lifelong cyclists so i don't not so much funny memories maybe but um definitely a little kind of nostalgic uh, every, everybody's out there for all the right reasons you know it's because they love racing they love riding their bike, which is why we all do this at the end of the day, even at this level. You know, the sport's too hard. If you don't love riding your bike, you're not going to be in it very long. Yeah, it, no doubt about that. And um, collegiate cycling is awesome. It's just, it's, it is true that it does create lifelong cyclists, which yeah. is why I definitely believe in it personally as yeah. well. And um, uh, yeah, and, and speaking of your current team, Cannondale Drat Pack, I think it, it seems to me like you guys do have a lot of fun and there is clearly a love for the sport there. And um, it's really cool because you've been with that team for many, many years, essentially since you turned pro. 
Yeah, it's kind of crazy. You know, I was, I was sitting there this year, um, and Ramunas Navadarskis, he, you know, left uh, for the 2017 season. And I realized that I'm the uh, the longest standing member of the team. No you way. Because Alex House turned, you know, he was with the under-23 team, but he turned pro one year after I did. Um, and that's kind of crazy to think about. You know, there's not a, not a single rider left from the original Slipstream Sports team that I joined. But... You know, things progress and, and change, and it's uh, it's just like everything. You know, you change as a person, you change as a rider, and I think the team has obviously gone through several transitions. But, I mean, I think when you look at it now, the Classics just wrapped up, Sebastian Langeveld at the front of Paris-Roubaix, the Vuelta last year. I think we've, you know, I think we've got it, got it together pretty well, and I think building some momentum this year, kind of heading into the Giro, the Tour de France, and, uh, and the rest of the season. Is there a particular vintage, I guess I'd say, of the Slipstream team that like really like, oh, that was the year that we had, we were just clicking. It was a great year. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I can only speak since I've been on the team, but it's pretty pretty serious authority though, since you're the longest well, I mean, tenured. <laughs> you know, you'd watch some of the, sometimes. I mean, when they when they had the team, you know, like I don't know if they won the team time trial, but or they they did well in it, but. They had one team time trial. It was infamous. It was, you know, because everybody got dropped. But it was Christian and Zabriskie and Miller and Wiggins. And Ryder was the, the last guy who had to hang on. And those guys, that, that like, lived in infamy in this team, you know, <laughs> because you just some of the, the best time trialists in yeah. the world. And, you know, and Ryder hanging on, gutting it out to be that last guy. I mean, they that was obviously a good year. I wasn't part of the team, but I mean, you know, looking back in 2011 when it was uh, Garmin Cervelo, Thor Hushoff, they had the yellow jersey in the tour. They, you know, they, that, that was a really cool year to be a part of the team. I mean, Thor was world champion that year. It was, uh, you know, he had won in 2010. I watched him win in Australia and then, then you're racing with the guy the next year. Um, so I would, I would say that, that was, that was cool. I mean, th- those guys, I learned a lot from guys like, you know, Christian Vandeveld and, and David Miller and getting to, to race with the people I did. Um, so I would say for me, kind of, those were more formative years, kind of 11, 12, 13, when those guys were still around, racing Christian's last Tour de France with them. Ryder Hegedal, obviously, you know, racing a little longer than, than Miller and Christian. But, um, you know, now, now, it's a, now it's a different team, different, different faces, different objectives. A lot younger. Yeah, yeah, it's been a few years of that kind of, you know, it went from being this kind of very, very, when I first was a part of it, you know, huge amount of experience when you looked at the roster. And now we do have that experience, but it's in a little bit different ways. You know, it's not not quite so obvious as somebody like, you know, David Miller or Christian Vandeveld or Ryder Hedgedal. It's more, it's a little more subtle. You have guys like Sebastian Langeveld. You have guys, um, you know, who maybe are a little more low-key, but just as experienced, just as strong and... uh yeah, I like like the the youngness adds. You know, you you get guys like Alberto Betiol who nobody really knew. You know who he was, and he comes on at the end of last year from Tour of Utah onwards, and he's one of the most you know incredible incredible guys, strong riders that I've you know gotten the opportunity to race with, and that's that's one of the fun things about having a young team. You know, you get to get to race with some guys and see them progress, and uh, you know you might not otherwise not get to. What kind of advice do you give those young guys? I don't know. It's kind of funny to think of giving advice to younger guys. I mean, I, I guess, you know, I didn't turn pro that young, really. You know, like I, I did race my last year under 23 and then, then turned pro when I wasn't under 23 anymore. 
So it's funny you see some of these guys you're racing against, you know, guys like Nielsen Palace or Adrian Carlson. They're so young, you know, and we have, we have you know, Davide Formula. I've watched him improve. But, you know, at 28, I guess I'd, I guess I have been, you know, it's my seventh year as a pro. I've been doing this for a while, but I still, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the first person to kind of stand up and give advice to people. I, uh, I think, you know, when, when you have something valuable to tell them, you can tell them. But a lot of times people just need to, to have their own experiences and everybody's experience in the sports a little bit different so it's definitely that's good advice <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well thank you for your time andrew it's been really interesting to catch up with you and uh best of luck in the tour of california and beyond thank you okay guys for uh this week's outro question I am referencing a little chat I had with Mr. T.J. Eisenhart this week, who won the Redlands Bicycle Classic. And I don't know if you saw this or not on the YouTube videos, but like T.J. was wearing this giant turquoise necklace throughout the entire race. It was sweet. It was pretty sweet. I asked him about it, and he said, well, it's kind of uh, something he wears to lighten the mood. In fact, I got a little audio clip right here of him. I feel like it really, like every time I feel it and I look down or I see it in a photo, it, uh, it's kind of that reminder to stay grounded, you know, to remember not to, like, you know, take off a necklace just to be a little bit faster. It helps you, you know, see kind of, for me at least, the bigger picture that, you know, this is just all this is, you know, I'm racing my bike and I'm getting paid to do it. So that's freaking awesome. Just be humble. <laughs> okay. Um, here's the question. So what is something that you would wear or do to like lighten the mood around bicycle racing? Uh, well, I already do this. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the fanny pack, of rocking the fanny pack when I ride bikes. Uh, for our British <laughs> Grode, listeners the out there. The sack, I the, believe. Yeah, the Grode sack, uh, alternate title. For our British listeners out there, the, the hip sack. I don't know what they call them. Yeah. Fanny means Fanny something else. Fanny means something totally different. Totally different. There. God, you're so gross, you British people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get your heads out of the gutter. I'm a huge fan of the Grud Sack. Uh, you know, you can put all kind. You could put a beer in there. Yeah. You could put all kinds of stuff in there. Mm-hmm. So Great. would you be winning Oak Glen with your Grud Sack on? 100. percent And then I would pull the beer out, open it as a cross finish. That'd line. be an epic victory, yeah. victory yep. salute. Great. I would love that. Uh, Spencer, anything you would wear or do to like really lighten the mood? Uh, we, you could kind of go the route of like a 1990s raver and do like a pacifier around your neck. Just, you know, just sort of, if you, you know, get a little dry mouth. And some Jinko jeans. <sighs> yeah, that's Mike caught arrow. in the chain. Mike get caught in the chain. <laughs> what, what happens if you roll up Jinko jeans? I mean, like, you just get sort of a That'd be a lot of material. No, the world would end. That'd be a lot of material. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the way I go about lightening the mood in cycling is I wear my chamois inside out. Oh, wait, no, I just do that when I get dressed in the dark. Uh, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on bellnews.com. Subscribe to the Bell News Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Love those comments and ratings. Become a fan of Bella News on Facebook at facebook.com slash News Magazine. And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. The Bella News Podcast is produced by Bella News, which is owned by the competitor. Group. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Bellamy's podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blah playing the Bernard Purdy classic soul drums. <laughs>